Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. The sound of praise on your lips. And the sound of praise in my ears. For the sound of praise on your lips and the sound of praise in my ears draws you near to me. And when you are near to me, you have all you need. I tell you that you are not far from me. You are not distant from me. You are not away from me. But as you call out to me, as you cry out to me, I say I am near to you and I am even drawing nearer to you. Release the praise. In the midst of uncertainty, release the praise. In the midst of the unknown, release the praise. In the midst of what seems like the darkest hour, release the praise. Because I am drawing nearer to you, says the Lord. And this is the sound that I desire, says the Lord. 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Are you there? Kind of. I'm going to go ahead and read it. You got to finish getting there. I'm in the ESV this morning, so forgive me. Pray for me or whatever you need to do about that. 7 and 8. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Somebody say, and in you. Because the darkness is passing away. And the true light is already shining. The darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. This morning, this word that the Lord has given me for this house is shining now. Shining now. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the authority of your word. We thank you that you have honored your word even above your name. I ask this morning that you would give me an utterance to bring this word forth with power and with authority and in the way that you have caused it to be, that these people would receive it, that it would be good seed on good ground, and that you would use it to bear fruit for the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm already dry. All right, so First John chapter 2, let's back up to verse 1. I almost unbuttoned my sleeve, Lauren would kill me. She doesn't like that. John starts, my little children, I'm going to go a little fast because we're running a little bit out of time. So forgive me if I feel like I'm speeding a little bit. But we got to get, we got to set the groundwork before we get to verse 7 and 8. So verse 1 and 2, John says, my little children, I'm writing to you these things. What are these things? John finishes up the end of chapter 1 where he talks about God is light and we should walk with God who is light. Because if we walk with God who is light, then we will be light and we will be in the light. John says at the end of chapter, 1 John chapter 1 that no one who walks with God, who is light, walks around in darkness. And in fact, if you walk around in darkness and say you're in God, who is light, you're lying. So that, that's, the, that's the premise here as John's going into chapter 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That's a wild concept. I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. In other words, John's saying we've been called higher, higher than just scraping by. 
John said, we've been called into a life of, ready for it, put your seatbelt on. We've been called into a life of not sinning, being called out of sin. I've written these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does slip up in sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Thank you, Lord. He is the propitiation for our sins, but not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world. I think John is making a transition here in chapter 2. In chapter 1, let's set the stage here for a second. First John is written to believers. John is writing this epistle to believers. This is not to lost folks. John is writing this to save folks, to the church. John in chapter 1 is talking about their salvation. He's talking about their stance in Christ. He's talking about them walking in the light. But here in the beginning of chapter 2, John starts to make a transition. He says, I'm writing these things so you don't sin. But if you sin, thank goodness we have atonement through Jesus the righteous. But he is the propitiation, not only for our sins, but also for the whole world. Here, John starts to introduce a concept outside of themselves. John starts to bring in an idea that this thing is about more than just them. John starts to bring in this concept that it's more than just about you getting you to the finish line. It's more than just you getting you to the end goal. It's more than just you not having a bad day for you. He is the propitiation for your sins, but also for the whole world. That includes your whole world. That includes Toyota, if you're working at Toyota, or Gray, where I work. That includes my whole world. He is a propitiation for my whole world's sins. That means I have a responsibility now. When I understand that He's not just a propitiation for my sins, but for the whole world's sins, it changes my perspective. Because I have to think of this thing in a holistic view instead of just me, myself, and I getting to the finish line. Verse 3, he says, And by this we have come to know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. So John says... He is not just the salvation and the atonement for your sins, but for the whole world. And verse 3, he says, And by this we have come to know that we know Him. We have come to know. There ought to be evidence that we know Him. Why is there evidence? Why do we need evidence? Because it's not just for me. If it was just for me, I don't need evidence. I have a knowing. Romans 8 says that the Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit. If it was just for me, I don't need evidence. I've got an inner witness inside of me in my spirit that tells me I got it. I know him. But John says in verse 3 that we have come to know that we know him by keeping his commandments. So there ought to be an outward evidence of my knowing him. Why? Because it's not for me only. It's for those who are around me. Because somebody around me needs to know that I know Him. It's not enough for me to know that I know Him. That's awesome and that's fantastic. But me knowing that I know Him ought to spill over into other people knowing that I know Him. If me knowing that I know Him doesn't create evidence that other people know that I know Him, John says, I don't know Him. John says, I don't know Him. John, the Gospel of John 14.21 says that, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. 
Then Jesus goes on and says, He who loves me will be loved by the Father, and I will love him, and I will make myself manifest to him, or through him, or with him. So there is an outward evidence that comes from an inward knowing. Because there are people on the outside that need to know what's happening to me on the inside. There are people outside of these walls that need to know what's happening on the inside of these walls. People that will never walk through the doors of this church. Because they need to know what's going on on the inside of His people. And it requires an outside evidence. And it requires an outside evidence of my inward knowing. He says, by this we have come to know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. I'm not going to stay here long, but an interesting note. This word, to know Him, the first time this word, to know Him, is ever used is in the Septuagint, which is the, this is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's in Genesis 4.1. That's when Adam knew his wife and conceived and bore a son. This is not a, I know of Jesus. This is not a, I, I went to church and I heard about Jesus. This is not a, I got a pastor who knows about Jesus. I've got an apostle who knows about Jesus. I can call up Pastor Mike and he can tell me about Jesus. No, no, no. John says, if you want evidence in your life so other people see it, you've got to know him as intimately as Adam knew his wife to conceive and bear a son. That might be a little graphic of an image for 945 on a Sunday morning, but that's what Jesus said. He said, that's how intimately you have to know me in order for there to be an outward evidence. As intimately as Adam knew Eve, you've got to know me that intimately. And then there will be an outward evidence in your life. And people will not be able to mistake it. Verse 4 and 5, he goes on. Whoever says, I know him, this is the same word for know, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. The word for keep here is to attend carefully. To take care of, to guard, and to observe. So John says, whoever says, I know him, but does not guard, attend carefully, take care of, and observe his commandments, is a liar. Is a liar. So it's not enough to just say, I know him, I hang out with Jesus, me and Jesus are cool. We got to do what Jesus says to do. What did Jesus say to do? They asked him, what's the most important commandment? And he didn't say, ah, there are a bunch of important commandments. That wasn't his answer. Jesus said the most important commandment is love the Lord your God. And the second one is likened unto it. Love your neighbor. All the law, all the prophets hang on these. Those are our commandments. And from that flows, I would argue, every other word from his mouth. From that flows everything else from his lips. And it is our responsibility, if we know Him, to guard and attentively, carefully keep what He says to do. If we know Him and we are not keeping what He says to do, then John says we're liars. And we don't know Him. Because it is the outward evidence of love, His love for us and for other people flowing through us, that shows other people that we are His. Because that's what this thing is about. When he said, go and make disciples of all nations, he really meant it. He really meant it. 
And he didn't mean you have to get on a plane and go to Africa to do it. If you can, thank God. But he meant if you got to get in the car and go to Georgetown to work, then you got to go and make disciples of Georgetown. If you got to get in the car and go to Lexington to the mall, then go and make disciples of Lexington. And it is the love of God flowing in and through His people that is an outward evidence that Jesus Christ was not historical figure that was painted on a cross somewhere so that we would have cool art. That He is a living, breathing human who lived on this earth, who is God, all God, and all man somehow, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, still interceding on the behalf of His people. It is that Jesus who is wanting to breathe in and through His people still today. But He does it through the lives of submitted people who say, I love you enough to show them that you love them. And there is an outward evidence that comes when we submit to that. And we do it by keeping His commandments. Verse 5, He goes on, By this we know that we are in Him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That's challenging. Jesus lived a radical, wild life. And John said if we are in him, if we say we abide in him, then we have to walk in the same way in which he walked. The same way here is according as, just as, even as, in proportion, and to the degree. We are called to walk to the degree that Jesus walked on this earth. To the degree that Jesus walked on this earth. Jesus said, these things that I do, you're going to do the same things. And even greater things. And even greater things. He has called us in to the greater things. But I would submit to you that the greater miracles don't come unless we have the greater love. The greater healings don't come if we don't have the greater love. The greater signs and wonders don't come if we don't have the greater love. If we can't reach out with the compassion that he was moved with, we won't see the miracles that he saw. Over and over again, the Gospels tell us, in Matthew specifically, he was moved with compassion. That word for compassion in the Gospels is gut-wrenching. Literally in the Greek, it's gut-wrenching. His guts were were contorted when he saw the people in pain and in suffering because he loved them so abundantly. And from that flowed miracle working power. We want the miracles, but we don't want to have to have the love. The church in America, I'm not saying this house. This house is, is one of the houses, if, if, you've, if you've been, I don't want to say blessed, unfortunate maybe enough to have traveled around to more than a couple of churches, you'll know this house has love. But the church In America specifically, we want the miracles, but we don't want to show the love. We want the miracles, but we don't want to reach out the helping hand. We don't want to stoop down in the dirt where they're ready to stone the woman who was caught in adultery. And say, what's going on? What happened? We don't want to meet the woman at the well who was so ostracized that the whole city sent her out by herself. That she wasn't even living with a man who she was married to and she'd already been divorced five times. We don't want that love, but we want the miracle working power. And I feel like the Lord is saying it begins with the original commandment that I gave you. To reach out in love, and then from that will flow the rest. From that will flow the rest. 
Whoever abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. It's an invitation to walk in the same way in which He walked. That challenges me, but it also invites me to walk in the same way in which He walked. I'm sorry, I'm hurrying. Verse 7. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you heard. This is a a weird little passage. In the Old Testament, the, the scripture says, love God, love your neighbor. So it's not a new commandment. Verse 8, at the same time, it is a new commandment. How is it a new commandment? Jesus reestablishes the priority of the new commandment when he gives it again. He reestablishes that it is the priority of the gospel to love God and love people. And from that flows everything else. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. It is true in him and in you. Listen to this. The word for true here, it literally means not hidden. Unconcealed. We could say is made manifest. So at the same time, this new commandment that I'm writing to you is made manifest in Him and in you. How is it made manifest? By the darkness passing away and the light that is already shining. Darkness that is already... Y'all missed, that was a good chance. The darkness that is already passing away and the light that is already shining. i got to hurry, but we have been praying for I don't know how many decades for light to come and darkness to leave. And for some reason, we have missed that darkness is already passing away and the light is already shining. I don't know if they put it in mind this week, but I found it. The darkness is already passing away and the light is already shining. I'm not asking anymore for darkness to leave. It's already passing away. The King James says the darkness is past. But the verb here is a, is a present verb. The darkness is currently passing away. How is it currently passing away? Because the children of the Most High are blazing with the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we do, darkness is passing away. It is passing away from this city and this community and my home and my neighborhood. Darkness is passing away. It's going. Darkness isn't taking over. It's not taking over Winchester. It's not taking over America. Darkness is passing away. And light is already shining. I'm sick of hearing the darkness is overtaking us. The darkness is passing away. We are the light of the world. A city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. And if the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church, and if His Word is set in the heavens eternally, then darkness is passing away. And the true light of the gospel is shining in and through us. And it will not prevail, church. Everywhere we go, darkness passes away. Every situation we step into passes away. There's nothing wrong with praying for a sovereign move of God. There's nothing wrong with interceding for our nation and our children and our, and our families. There's nothing wrong with that. Because sometimes we need God to step in in a sovereign way. But I want to tell you, when I walk into the room, darkness passes away. Because I have the glorious blazing light of Jesus Christ burning in and through my life. And it passes away when I walk in because the light is already shining. Stand with me, I'm done. 
Thank you for listening today to the Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word. If you would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.